morning. Good to see all of you today. I ask if our ushers would prepare to make sure that everyone received one of the handouts. If you did not get a handout this morning for the message and you want to be able to follow along, if you would raise your hand. You're going to have to keep them up for a minute now till they get to you. While they are bringing those around, I do want to reiterate on that announcement about the missions meeting that will be taking place in July. We're going to have a lot more details. Some of you have been to each of those meetings, and, and the information was a bit vague, but we've been able to iron down some of the details now. We're going to be able to get that information to you. That's this Wednesday night right after church over in Building B. We'll have some more information for you, quite a bit more, in fact, about that trip, and we're looking forward to, to you being there for that. I just wanted to give you an opportunity uh, to know about the, you know, we're in the middle of a, uh, of a stewardship campaign, and uh, it's not reach day, but I just wanted to let you know that phase two of that was the, the drive-through canopy that's going to be attached to this building. And it's exciting news to be able to tell you that a contract has been signed with a construction company. And it'll still be just a little while before you see uh, that happening, still actually being, being uh, constructed because it's taken a little while for it to get here. But they tell me that they're going to start in March. And within three or four weeks from the time they start, it'll be finished. So by May, uh, just after winter and after all the snow and the sleet and the rain is gone, we will have a canopy. But it'll be nice for next winter, won't it? Amen. Amen. Well, I am so glad to see all of you. We're in the middle of a series where it's a lordship series. And we're talking about, well, for several weeks now. This is our fourth week in our concluding week of the series. Today we're going to be talking about four signs of a sensible steward. And I want you to be able to follow along today. But just a very quick review. Uh, some of the things we've discussed, we talked about, we answered the questions about who is going to be number one in our life. Lordship settles the position issue in your life. It settles the permission. Who has a right to my life? It settles the profession. Uh, this is my decision on whether or not I'm going to profess Christ as my Savior. And it settles the possession. And that is who owns the things of my life. We also talked about, they're not on the paper, but we also discussed two lordship laws. You remember what those were? The lordship laws. The lordship laws go like this. First of all, Jesus Christ is either Lord of all or Jesus Christ is not Lord at all. That's number one. And number two, if Christ is the center of your life, the circumference will take care of itself. Do you remember that? And so for the last three weeks, we've been drilling down on this subject of of making sure that God is number one in our life, that he owns everything of our life, that we are not withholding anything from him. And last week, I mean, we went straight from preaching to meddling. We had been talking about our souls, our eternity. Last week, we even started talking about our money, and it got quiet up in here. But it didn't stay that way. You know what I was excited to hear this morning when Pastor Kyle said it's time to receive the offering? All the people that clapped and cheered because you're the individuals that get it. You're starting to get it that it's not about the money. 
that when you sign that tithe check and drop it in the offering, that's not the only thing you're doing. If you get this lordship thing, money was just a small part of it. All this week, you've been giving him your time. All this week, you've been giving him your life. All this week, you've been giving him your abilities. And just so happened that today was the first time this week you'd gotten to give him your money. Up to then, you've been giving it to Walmart. You've been giving it to, to, other, to the gas station. You've been giving it to Source Gas and Ozarks Electric. But just, just today, you clapped because you had the opportunity to decide on where that money was going to go. It was going to go back to where it came from, and that was God. Because remember, we don't give our tithes, do we? We pay our tithes because they were never ours to begin with. So having said that, let's get on into this now, and we'll say, you know, when Jesus becomes the Lord of your life, you'll become a a successful steward. Now, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 12. We're going to spend a lot of time there in Luke 12 today. In fact, the stories that we're going to be glancing over, reading over today very quickly, are passages that over the last uh, several months, and uh, you have heard me break these down even further that we're going to be just going over. You've heard me detail preach on these passages of Scripture. But today I want you to see how they all fit together in this lordship issue. Four illustrations are found in Luke chapter 12 that are given by Jesus to illustrate what a sensible steward is, what a good steward is. Now, I want to give you a definition of stewardship. It's not there on the paper. You'll just have to write this down if you want it. But the definition of stewardship is this. A steward is a manager of another person's property. Let that sink in for a minute. So Christian stewardship is simply the, 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 it's managing what God has entrusted to us. We understand as Christian stewards that everything that comes through our hands was never ours to begin with. It was always God's, but God allows us for whatever reason to, to channel that particular portion of his resource whether that be our talent or our abilities or our money or whatever that might be, that God has seen fit to allow me and God has seen fit to allow you to be in possession briefly, temporarily of things that are his and he is allowing you to be a steward of his things. That's Christian stewardship. God owns everything. And once we understand that, the stewardship thing is not going to be a problem for us. So I want to get into these four signs of a sensible steward. And the first one that you're writing down is this. A sensible steward will be responsible. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 21. A man in a crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to give me my share of what our father left us when he died. Jesus answered, who gave me the right to settle arguments between you and your brother? And then he said to the crowd, don't be greedy. Listen to this statement. Owning a lot of things won't make your life safe. Mm. So Jesus told him a story. 
The rich man's farm produced a big crop. And he said to himself, what can I do? I don't have a place large enough to store everything. Later, he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones where I can store all my grain and other goods. And then I'll say to myself, you stored up enough good things to last for years to come. And so then I'll live it up and eat and drink and enjoy myself. But God said to him, you fool, tonight you're going to die. And then who's going to get all that you've stored up? Jesus said, this is what happens to people who store up everything for themselves, but are poor in the sight of God. So in order for Jesus to illustrate to us a responsible steward, instead, he gives us a picture of an irresponsible steward. He's going to instead of telling us what to do, he's going to tell us what not to do. So I want you to list there's three of these ways in which this individual is irresponsible. First of all, he was irresponsible to himself because he thought that life just consisted of, of material things. Rudyard Kipling wrote many years ago, do not pay too much attention to fame and power and money. Someday you'll meet a person who cares for none of these things and then you will know how poor you really are. Look at what Jesus said in verse 15. Don't be greedy. Owning a lot of things won't make your life safe. How much time do people spend, even Christians spend, trying to amass things to make their life safe? If I have more in the bank, I'll be safe when I get older. If I could get the cars paid off, get the house paid off, if I pay all, in fact, that's how a lot of people approach their giving with Jesus. I'm going to pay everybody else. Isn't it amazing? I'm going to pay everybody else. I'm going to make sure everybody else gets their money. And if there's any left, I'll give that to God. Isn't it amazing how that you're going to make sure the person that gets your money can't do anything to bless your money? And the one that could bless your money and give you more than anybody else ever could is going to be the one you think of last? This irresponsible steward thinks only of himself. Secondly, he's irresponsible to others. He doesn't realize it because God's blessing him. God's doing that so he can help somebody else. Look at verses 17 through 19. I want you to notice the selfishness of this irresponsible steward. If you were to count these up, notice the personal pronouns. In just three verses, he's going to use 14 personal pronouns to talk about me, 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 me. I have a big crop. I have lots of money. I need a bigger barn. I'm going to have. God doesn't bless us just so that we can heap those things up to ourselves and store them in bigger barns. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. There's a particular passage right here, verse, or 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6. Remember this saying, a few seeds make a small harvest, but a lot of seeds make a big harvest. Each of you must make up your own mind about how much to give, but don't feel sorry that you must give and don't feel forced that you're to give because God loves people who love to give. 
And God can bless you with everything you need. And you will always have more than enough to do all kinds of good things for others. The scriptures say God freely gives his gifts to the poor and always does right. God gives seed to the farmers and provides food for everyone. He'll increase what you have so that you can give even more to those in need. Why does God increase what you have? So you can have more. No, that's not what it said, is it? He will increase what you have so that you can give even more to those in need. And you'll be blessed in every way and you'll be able to keep on being generous. And then many people will thank God when we deliver your gifts. Because what you're doing is much more than a service that supplies God's people with what they need. It's something that will make many others thank God. The way in which you have proved yourself by this service will bring honor and praise to God. You believe the message about Christ and you believed it or you obeyed it by sharing generously. Hear that? You obeyed it. What? The message about Christ. You obeyed the message about Christ by sharing generously with God's people and everyone else. That's how you obeyed. God is not looking for people that are going to be clogs. He's looking for channels. Nobody likes when that big old clog gets in the sink. You got to get, how many of y'all enjoy that cleaning out that? I'm going to tell you something right now. When they, whenever they have to clean out the hair, in the, in the bottom of the shower, it's not mine. I don't want to hear about it. I'm not responsible for that mess you made. For your hair falling out. Because mine did that a long time ago. So it's not mine. Nobody likes a nasty clog. You know where I'm going, don't you? Y'all are way too smart for me every week. God's looking for a channel, an open channel that it can pour through so that it stays clean and clear and doesn't become stagnant and nasty. God wants it to be a channel, not a clog. God's looking for people that will be rivers instead of reservoirs. Channels that he can open up, faucets that he can release. So this individual is respons- is irresponsible to, to himself, he's irresponsible to others, and then he's irresponsible to God. Because he doesn't realize the uncertainty of life. And he does not realize the certainty of judgment. His judgment's coming. How terrible would it be for God... I mean, it's one thing when, when other people call you an idiot. But what if God called you a fool? That would hurt. That would hurt my feelings. I know he knows it about me, but it would hurt my feelings if he said it. God called this man a fool for having such a selfish, short-sighted view of life. What does it mean to be rich toward God? Ever thought about it? What does it mean to be rich toward God? I'm not talking about being rich toward man. What's it mean to be rich toward God? I heard a story about a man who died and he went to heaven. When he got to heaven, 
there was an angel there to give him a guided tour. The first thing that he noticed was this magnificent mansion. Something leapt in his soul because he was hoping it was his. And the angel said, that mansion right there belongs to the guy that used to mow your lawn and do your garden. Really? This really excited him because he's thinking, man, mine is going to be something else because this one's really cool. Down the road they go. He sees one that's even better. He thought, okay, that might, maybe that's mine. No. He said, do you remember that missionary that came to your church and how he pretty much sacrificed everything that he had to go on the mission field and took his kids and, you know, how you, you chipped in and gave him 15 cents every once in a while. He said, that's his mansion. That's his mansion. He says, oh, well, hey, still feeling pretty good about himself. Gardener's got a good mansion. The missionary's got a good mansion. And, you know, the missionary don't obviously don't care. He, he was willing to live in squalor on the earth. So this says to this guy, you know, I expect better things. I bet my mansion's really going to be something. And so down the road they go until they come up to a little eight-by-eight eight shack. <clears throat> and the angel says, you're home. <clears throat> That's mine? Yeah, is that where I keep my lawnmower? No, that's your mansion. How can that be my mansion? And the angel said, we did the best we could with what you sent us. Lay up in heaven treasures where the moth won't eat and the rust won't corrupt. Because if you lay up treasures on the earth, what happens to the treasures on the earth? Have you read the end of the book? What happens to the treasures on the earth? They're all going to burn with a fervent heat. What's going to happen to the treasures that you send on ahead? They're going to use them to build your mansion. <laughs> I don't know how theologically true that is. Because I don't think God really needs you to send anything for him to heaven. I don't think anything from here is going to make it to heaven except us. But the symbolism is pretty, pretty strong. To be rich toward God, it means that you have committed to pouring your life into something that's going to last forever in eternity, not just on this earth. If you look at verse, what would it be, verse 34 of Luke chapter 12? Jesus says, your heart will always be where your treasure is. So he's teaching us that he wants us to be responsible stewards. Let's move on. A sensible steward is relaxed. He goes on to explain that to us there in chapter 12. You know, we read through 21, but he picks it right back up at 22 and goes on through 34. Here comes your next illustration. There's four illustrations. Here's the second one. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you not to worry about your life. Don't worry about having something to eat or wear. Life is more than food and clothing. Look at the crows. They don't plant or harvest. They don't have storehouses or barns, but God takes care of them. And you're much more important than any birds. Can worry make you live longer? If you don't have power over small things, why worry about everything else? 
Look at how wild flowers grow. They don't work hard to make their clothing. But I tell you that Solomon, with all of his wealth, wasn't clothed as well as one of these flowers. God gives beauty to everything that grows in the fields, even though it's here today and thrown into a furnace tomorrow. Won't he do even more for you? You have so little faith. Don't keep worrying about something to eat or drink. Only people who don't know God are always worrying about such things. Your father knows what you need. But put God's work first and these things will be yours as well. My little group of disciples, don't be afraid. Your father wants to give you the kingdom. Wow, that's a whole lot more than flowers. Sell what you have, give the money to the poor. Make yourselves money bags that never wear out. Make sure your treasure is safe in heaven where thieves can't steal it, where moths can't destroy it because your heart will always be where your treasure is. What's he saying? A sensible steward is relaxed. He's not worried. Jesus wants you to understand worry. He doesn't want you to do it, but what you, he wants you to understand it. See, in the first story, you had, to, you had the fellow that's worried because he has too much. Right? In this story, you have the person that's worried because he has too little. Neither one of them are pleasing God because they're both worried. Stewardship, lordship, true lordship will put you in a position to where that you don't worry about those things anymore. You're relaxed because you and everything you have and everything that will ever come through your fingers is God's. And you're good with that. The difference between these two people is the issue of lordship. But when you really get to the place that you decide to let Jesus be the Lord of your life in every area of your life. Something really awesome begins to happen. It, ha it just happens. Those of you that have been walking with the Lord for a long time, you're going to smile when I say this because you're living in the same place I live. And that is you get to a place where that every time you have a problem, you say, Lord, you've got a problem. I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. I don't take the credit and I don't take the blame. It's not my fault. And when that time comes where the bill is due and you don't have the money, it's not my fault. I've been treating you as Lord. I've been living for you as Lord. I've been tithing, giving, working, living, all that I've done. Lord, you got a problem. And he says, I don't have a problem. Just making sure I got your attention. This is going to be okay. The grass is still growing. The flowers are still blooming. I still have money. I still have resources. If I am the Lord of your life, then you don't have no problems. I'll take care of everything. Remember, if he's the center, the circumference takes care of, the, of itself. Remember that? So Jesus is telling us three things about worry in this passage. Write them down. Three, three, three negative things about worry. The, the first one, number one, is worry is destructive. How is it destructive? Well, the, the, the very definition in the dictionary of worry is to feel anxious, to be uneasy. That one, one definition of worry, listen to this, is to pull or tear at an object with the teeth, to shake, mangle, or bite. That doesn't sound like a fun way to live your life. Jesus is saying, don't let worry destroy 
you over the things that he's in control of. Corey Ten Boom made a statement years ago. She Listen to this. This is so good. She said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strength. That's strong, isn't it? So, so worry is destructive and then worry is deceptive. It's deceptive. Worry will lie to you. Worry tell you three, three reasons why, why it is deceptive. Because it gives you a false view of life. You see things the way they really are not when you worry. I gave a statistic here of several months ago when I was preaching about worry. About how that, how that such a high percentage of the things we worry about will never happen in our life. Yet we commit so much time to worrying about those things. It, it, worry is deceptive because it gives you a false sense of your view of life. It, B is it gives you a false view of God. And C, it gives you a false view of itself. All through 24 through 26, it, that's what you would get if you studied those. That's what it's telling to you. You know, wor- wor- worry is, is, is nothing more than a focus on wrong things. Did you hear that? And Jesus was saying in this passage that God cares for things that can't take care of themselves. How much more so will he take care of us? How much more is he going to be concerned about your welfare when he came to die for you? He didn't come to die for birds and worms and squirrels. He takes care of them. He came to die for you. We need to learn to relax. Trust God to provide for us just the way other created things do. The third thing about this is worry is distractive. It causes us to see the wrong things. Look at at verse uh, 32. We see the wrong things. Jesus said the right things is this. Don't be afraid. Your father wants to give you the kingdom. When you worry, you don't, you don't live like you trust that. Worry don't allow you to live like that. God's pleasures and treasures got to go together. This, this, this next sensible steward, this sensible steward will be ready. Look at verses 35. We just keep right on going. This is our third example Jesus gave in his passage. Be ready and keep your lamps burning. Just like those servants who wait up for their master return from a wedding feast. You remember a few months ago when I preached about that? As soon as he comes and knocks, they open the door for him. And servants are fortunate if, they, if their master finds him awake and ready when he comes. I promise you that he will be ready, that he will get ready and have his servants sit down so he can serve them. Those servants are really fortunate if their master finds him ready, even though he comes late at night or early in the morning. You would surely not let a thief break into your home if you knew when the time was coming, that he was coming. So always be ready because you don't know when the Son of Man will come. This sensible steward will be ready. Now this, the emphasis shifts here. Notice the emphasis begins to shift here from, from the present to the future. We've been talking about present situations. Now he's going to start talking about the future. Because when we live in the future, it's difficult to be wrapped up in the present. And too many people are wrapped up in the present. 
Too many people are too distracted by today to ever think about what God wants them to do tomorrow. If God can keep you distracted by today's sickness, worries, debt, if he can keep you distracted by today's situation, then you will never, ever really delve into what God wants you to be doing with your life. But a sensible steward will keep heaven in view. And stay in a, in a sense of readiness. Ready to seize the opportunity when, when God gives them to him to do something for him. Most people don't live in a readiness mode. They live in a postpone mode. They live in that mode that says someday I'm going to do this. Or someday I'm going to do that. When the conditions are right. And, and for most of the people that say that. They never do what they say they're going to do. Because the conditions are never perfect. Someday I'm going to go on a missions trip. Camp this year because of this. Someday I'm going to get involved in one of those campaigns they have. I can't right now, but that's something I'd like to do someday. Someday I'd like to actually uh, embark in doing ministry at the church. I can't right now because I'm too busy with my job. But someday I, would, I think I would like to teach or, or work with the kids or something. Guess what? You will never do any of those things until you just do them. Stephen Grillet was a Quaker. He lived in France in the middle 1800s, and he made this statement. He said, I shall pass through this world but once, and any good that I can do or any kindness I can show to any human being, let me do it now and not defer it, for I shall not pass this way again. You only get one shot at this life, folks. Every minute that passes is a minute that is gone and we can't reclaim it. You know that. Every opportunity that passes is a past opportunity. You can't get that back. But Jesus said that a sensible steward will be ready for every opportunity when it happens. And the last thing about a sensible steward is this. A sensible steward will be rewarded. The last passage of scripture because this is the last illustration. Verse 42. The Lord answered. Who are faithful and wise servants? Who are the ones the master will put in charge of giving the other servants their food supplies at the proper time? Servants are fortunate if their master comes and finds them doing a good job. Servant who's always faithful will, be, will surely be put in charge of everything the master owns. A servant who is always faithful will surely be put in charge of everything the master owns. Always faithful. How come God don't let me have more of his stuff to take care of. Why don't God keep giving me raises like I'm asking for? Let's see what that said right there. A servant who is always faithful will surely be put in charge of everything the master owns. That don't mean he tried being faithful for a month. It didn't work, so he quit. Then he picked it back up again a year later. Does it? A servant who is always faithful will surely be put in charge of everything the master owns. But suppose one of the servants thinks the master won't return till late. Suppose that servant starts beating all the other servants and eats and drinks and gets drunk. If that happens, the master will come on a day at a time when the servant didn't expect him. Then that servant's going to be punished and thrown out with the servants that can't be trusted. If servants aren't ready or willing to do what the master wants them to do, they're going to be beaten. But servants who don't know what their master wants them to do will not be beaten so hard. Now listen to this. 
If God has been generous with you, he will expect you to serve him well. But that's not the end of it. But if he's been more than generous, he will expect you to serve him even better. It doesn't get easier. Jesus is looking for somebody that he can trust. He's looking for those people that have sold out to him everything and then they don't take it back. See, a lot of people in emotional type settings and alter situations will kneel down and give God everything and then the next day they take some of it back. They start taking it back. Well, I did give you that, but I, you know, I hadn't really thought that through. I think I'm going to take back this part. I think I'll take back that part. I, I think I'll take back this. But he's looking for somebody that he can trust that'll so that'll sell out everything and not take it back. And he's going to reward those people in the future, but also in this life. Look at verse 45. Forty, 48. If he's been even more than generous, he's going to expect you to serve him even better. So there's coming a, there's coming a day of rewarding. Everybody's going to get rewarded, the faithful servant and the unfaithful. The selfish person is going to get their reward because the Bible says that the fairness of God, the justice of God means that everybody gets paid for what they do. Right? Everybody's going to get paid. The gift of God is eternal life. You live for the Lord, that's what you get. You don't live for the Lord, what do you get? Not that. You don't sell out to Jesus. What do you get? Not that. Conclusion. Let's talk about this challenge. Write these four words down in those blanks. The first one is way. W-E-I-G-H. Way. The second one is wait. The third one is watch. And the fourth one is work. Let me repeat those. Way, wait, watch, and work. Now, all of those of you that are preachers that would preach this passage of Scripture, here's how you could break this down. Verses 13 through 21 tell us to weigh our responsibilities in light of our blessings. Verses 22 to 34 tell us to wait on God to meet your needs because you have to put him first. 35 through 40 say watch for the Lord's return because your values are based on eternity. And 42 through 48 says work until the Lord returns because you're faithful to his commission. But now let's now that we have those four W's, let's go back though and, and let's see if those still work with the four that we started with. The first one was responsibility. This the, the, the sensible steward will be responsible. A responsible steward will weigh those responsibilities. What have I been given? What has God entrusted to me? What talents? What abilities? What am I doing with those? Weigh your responsibility in light of your blessings. You say, well, I don't have a lot of money. Well, what? I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about what you have.
Maybe you have an awesome personality and you love people. And the Lord's been telling you, I wish you'd stand at the door of my congregation and welcome people and tell them you're glad to see them. But you don't have time. Why don't you have time? Weigh your responsibility in light of your blessings. Wait on God. This is relax. Wait on God to meet your need. Let me share. I'm going to share something. Are you ready for this? If you, if maybe you didn't listen, maybe you've been asleep for this whole time. If somebody sleep, wake them up for this part. My good friend, Pastor Gino Landine. I was visiting with him on the phone this week. He said something to me and and it just, it, 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 it really rocked my world when it comes to this idea of tithing. Cause I've heard tithing and I've, I've been tithing for a long, long time. You don't have to sell me on this. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't have anything if I, if I don't give the Lord everything. I have nothing if I don't give him everything. I know that. He said to me that there was a man in his church that used to tithe and he quit. And Pastor Gino asked him how come he had stopped tithing. And the man said, tithing doesn't work for me. He said, I did that and it didn't work. Pastor Gino said, are you tithing right now? No. Are you being blessed right now? No, I can't hardly pay my bills. He said, What you plant today, you reap tomorrow. So those of you that are being blessed in your finances that are tithers, you're not being blessed today because you gave today. You're, the harvest that you have grown has been a seed that you sowed years ago. The harvest is coming now. As you continue to tithe, as you continue to be obedient, as you continue to give, you keep planting seeds that continue to grow fruit and you keep reaping from that. But if you sow a seed and then nothing happens, it means you haven't given that time to produce fruit. And giving up on the seed now means you're in a cursed situation. Is God mad at you? No, it's not that. You're in a cursed situation because the ground does not yield unless seed gets planted. That's the curse on the ground. The ground will produce. The seed will always, it's the law of the, of the seed and the harvest. If you plant a seed, it's gonna grow. If it's corn, it'll be corn. If it's an apple tree, it'll be an apple tree. But you gotta put something in the ground and then later it will produce fruit. But you can't put it in the ground today and expect fruit tomorrow. You put it in the ground and then you wait. What? Relax. That's that second one. Relax. I sowed it. I'm just waiting. I don't have a problem, God. You got a problem. I got bills that are due. I paid my tithes. You got a problem, Lord. I don't. I'm relaxed. I'm waiting for the seed that I'm sowing every week is going to produce. I'm not going to miss a week of sowing the seed because I don't want to miss a week down the road of reaping a harvest. That got through, didn't it? The third one is be ready. Watch for the Lord return. You got to be ready. You don't know. You don't know when he's coming. So you're you're weighing the responsibilities. You're working. You're responsible. You're giving. You're relaxing. You're watching. You're working. 
And that's number four, because of the reward that's coming. So you work until the Lord comes. I am going to be responsible. I'm going to continue to do the right thing and wait on the Lord. I'm going to continuously watch for his return. And I'm going to work for him until he gets here. I'm not going to stop. Hey, it goes that way with everything. For those of you that say, I used to do ministry, but I'm leaving it to the young folks. As soon as you stop sowing seed, if God thought you couldn't produce fruit, he would have brought you on home. If, if you're on this planet, it means you can produce fruit if you'll plant seed. Whoo, man, we're doing some stuff down. We're, we're getting down. We're drilling down, aren't we? We're drilling down. What is it that you have that you could be giving? What is it that you have that you could be doing? What seed is it that you could be sowing? Don't let a season go by that you didn't sow something of your abilities, of your, of your resource. Be sowing that all the time so that as long as you're on this planet, you'll have a constant harvest. I can't quit tithing right now. Because I might outlive my blessing. I don't know how long I'm going to live. But I know that if I quit tithing today, that before long, everything that I tithed and the harvest came in, I'll be done. And there won't be nothing left. I got to keep this up. I got to keep preaching this word. You know why I got to keep preaching this word? Because I'm weighing my responsibilities. Whether you think I'm good at this or not, it's the best I can do. And obviously the Lord's letting me do it. I've got to keep sowing this seed. I got to keep doing this because this is what I can do. I can't take a break. I can't stop preaching or teaching, sowing the word. I can't stop doing that because if I stop doing that, I'll stop seeing harvest. You can't stop teaching Sunday school. You can't stop working with the little missionettes or the Royal Rangers. You can't stop those kinds of whatever it is that you're doing. You can't stop give up on that, that connect group that you're working in. You can't give up on those things. If you're gifted to those things, if that's what God has given you to do, you got to keep doing that as long as he's producing fruit. Weigh the responsibility. Relax. Wait on God. Watch and work. Only one life. It'll soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Conclude with this poem. I counted dollars while God counted crosses. I counted gains while he counted losses. I counted my worth to things gained in store. He sized me up for the scars that I bore. I counted honors and sought degrees. He counted the hours I spent on my knees. I never knew until one day by the grave how vain are the things in life we try to save. God is desperately attempting to teach us lordship for us to give up every area. Here's today's altar response, because every week we've had something, hadn't we? Every week we signed a consecration check, or last first week we had a checklist. Every week we had some kind of an activity to kind of firm up this thing. And then we spent time in the altars praying about it, committing it to the Lord. Here's what I want you to do today. I want you to take that challenge portion, the four W's. And as we sit, just sit here in the presence of the Lord, I want you to take those four W's and I want you just to walk down through them. Just you and the Holy Spirit. And ask him and listen to him. Don't just talk to him, but listen to him too. 
What about this first one, Lord? What about this weighing? What is my responsibility? What is this that you have given me to do? And then when you get done weighing the responsibility and you feel good about what God wants you to do or what he wants you to keep doing or what he wants you to start doing, then move to the second one and say, okay, now, God, I'm going to relax. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to learn to wait on you. I'm going to I'm going to, to trust the law of the harvest. I'm going to trust that the seed that I sow in my ministry is going to produce souls. The finances that I that I give are going to produce souls. I'm going to relax. Now I'm going to watch, Lord. I'm going to stay watching. I'm going to stay watching. I'm going to be watching all the time. I'm going to stay ready. I'm going to be ready, Lord. I don't want to miss an opportunity to use my gifting to sow that seed. And then I'm going to receive that reward. Now that one comes down down the road, but I'm going to receive that reward. So for the next few minutes... Can I ask you just to honor this? This is not the dismissal. This isn't a good time to jump up and run out. And This is a really good time, though, for you to sit there in the presence of the Holy Spirit with that note in front of you and just walk down that list. Kind of like we did the week we did the communion, the list we walked down that week. Let's do that right now with this list. Walk down this list.